Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 15th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we got Putin's price hikes, and we got them good and hard. You know I jest, right? I mean, when I call them Putin's price hikes. But this is the mainstream narrative. You know, it's pretty amazing how all of the talking heads picked up on that mantra. If we had an honest narrative, they would call them Powell's price hikes, which actually has a pretty good ring to it, right? And, of course, I'm talking about Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. Anyway, we got the CPI data for March on Tuesday, and of course, everybody was braced for a big CPI number. And when it was all said and done, we got exactly what was expected and and then some. The consensus estimate was for an 8.4% year-on-year increase in the CPI. The actual number came in just above that at 8.5%. It was the highest CPI print since December 1981. A quick little quibble. The number was actually 8.56%, which rounds up to 8.6%, but apparently the government doesn't round up when we're trying to downplay a problem. So I guess I'll just go with 8.5 since that's what everybody is saying. But, you know, now you know. Month-on-month, prices rose by 1.2%. That's between February and March. Spiking oil prices in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine drove that number up. But remember, the February CPI was up 0.8% month-on-month, and that was before the invasion. Stripping out more volatile food and energy prices, core CPI rose by 6.5% year-on-year. Don't you wish you could strip out food and energy prices? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Of course you can't. So, you know, really, core CPI is kind of a dumb number, especially looking at it year on year. Um, They use the core because food and energy costs tend to fluctuate a lot. So when you strip them out, especially looking at a month-to-month basis, it does kind of, uh, you know, smooths out the numbers. But as Peter Schiff put it, if you have a year of higher food and energy prices, that's not volatility, that's a trend. Anyway, the 0.3% month-on-month jump in core CPI was actually below the 0.5% expectation. And that's led some analysts to conclude that we could be at peak inflation. But a 0.3% 0.3% rise in core CPI, you know, that's still a pretty big number. If you annualize it, that comes to 3.6% increase over the course of a year. And, you know, you might recall that we saw core CPI fall to 0.3% last summer. And at the time, the pundits claimed that this was a sign that inflation was indeed transitory and, and that it was starting to cool off. And of course, it wasn't. Peter did a really good podcast on why this notion of peak inflation is nothing more than wishful thinking. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes page. I'm not going to rehash what he said. Now, I can't talk about CPI without the uh, obligatory disclaimer. As bad as these numbers were, it's actually worse than that. The CPI uses a government formula that understates the actual rise in prices. Based on the CPI formula that they used back in the early 80s, CPI is approaching 17%, a historically high number. You can actually go to shadowstats.com and look at their graph. They calculate CPI based on the old formula. 
Now, regular listeners to this podcast will remember that when Putin invaded Ukraine, I said it would be the next excuse for inflation. I mean, there's always an excuse, right? First, it was, no, there isn't any inflation, and then it was COVID, and then it was supply chain issues, and then it was transitory, uh, then it was excess demand, and oh, oh, we can't forget greedy corporations, and of course, now it's Putin's price hikes. You know, it was almost comical in an attempt to get ahead of what everybody knew was going to be bad news on the inflation front. The Biden administration started blaming Putin for the big CPI on Monday before the data even came out. The White House press secretary said, quote, we expect March CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. So when you hear that phrase bandied about, that's where everybody got it. Now, honestly, there is no doubt that Putin's price hike impacted the March CPI data. As expected, gasoline prices went through the roof, charting an 18.3% month-on-month increase. And this was, in fact, largely driven by the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But shelter costs were up 0.5% month-on-month. This has nothing to do with Putin. And housing costs are another factor systemically understated in the CPI calculation. And Here's another thing. If the big CPI print is purely a function of Putin's war, why was core CPI up at all? Shouldn't that be going down? Now think about it. If you're paying more for food and gas, you should have less money for other things. That means you're ostensibly going to buy less of those other things. That should push their prices down as demand drops. But that's not happening. All prices generally are still going up. That tells me that inflation is still a significant factor in rising prices. Now, it could be that people are still spending because they're putting everything on their credit cards. And there is some indication that this is exactly what is going on. Consumer debt rose at the fastest pace in 20 years in February. Now, the debt data has a two-month lag, so it's going to be interesting to see how much credit card debt increases when we get the March numbers next month. But just looking at the February data, it's clear Americans are turning to plastic with their uh, STEMI check gone and uh, their savings depleted. Credit card debt rose by a whopping 20.7% in February. American consumers added $18 billion in credit card debt to uh, their bills in February alone. Now, obviously, this isn't a sustainable economic model, right? It won't take long before people start maxing out those credit card limits. And rising interest rates are going to make paying off all of this debt even more painful. But, you know, that could be why other prices are still rising along with uh, food and gas. Now, when you hear people blaming Russia... It's important to step back and look at the broader trend. March marked the seventh straight month of accelerating CPI. Remember, it looked like it was cooling off a little bit last summer, but then since then we've seen uh, elevating levels of prices each and every month. Six of the last seven months clearly have nothing to do with Putin price hikes. And there is every reason to believe that prices will continue to rise. While the mainstream blames Russia, COVID, supply chains, greedy corporations, excess demand, and perhaps even voodoo for rising inflation, they completely ignore the most significant factor 
actual inflation created by the Federal Reserve. I still think monetary policy is the biggest factor in all of this. It underlies everything that's going on. The Fed printed trillions of dollars out of thin air. The U.S. government handed it out. The U.S. government shut down the economy so that nobody was producing anything. People were able to keep spending money. And now we have all of these dollars sloshing around, chasing a limited number of goods and services. That's a recipe for rising prices. These are Powell's price hikes. And it was entirely predictable. Remember, rising prices are not in and of themselves inflation. Inflation is an increase in the money supply. That is the actual definition of inflation. The rising prices are a symptom of inflation. Loose central bank monetary policy drives the money supply up. That's what creates the money. And despite a lot of talk about the Fed's inflation fight, monetary policy remains historically loose. So here's some food for thought. The last time the CPI was this high, as I mentioned earlier, was December 1981. Do you know what interest rates were in December 1981? 12%. You heard me right, 12%. And that was actually down from the peak of 20% in May of that same year. Then-Fed Chairman Paul Volcker was waging a legitimate fight against inflation, a real fight. He was actually fighting. He was in the ring, right? He pushed real interest rates above the CPI. So what are interest rates today? One quarter of 1%. So we have a CPI of 8.5%. That means real interest rates are negative 8.25%. So why does anybody think the Fed is going to slay inflation? I mean, they're talking about getting rates to maybe three and a quarter percent by 2023. They'll never get there. Not that that's significant, but they're not going to even get there. As I've explained over and over again, they couldn't get to two and a half percent back in 2018. There's more debt. There's more misallocation. There's more bubbles in the economy. If they couldn't do it in 2018, they certainly can't do it now. It's not going to take long for the tightening to pop this bubble economy. So then what? Does Jay Powell have the cojones to stick to his guns when the stock market is falling through the floor? Does he have the willpower to stand up against all of the political pressure if we're in a deep recession because of these rate hikes and tightening policy? Is he going to continue fighting inflation? I'll just let you make that judgment. So this wasn't the only bad inflation news of the week. The producer price index came out on Wednesday, and it completely cuts the legs out from under this peak inflation theory. The producer price index, PPI, was up 1.4% month on month. On an annual basis, producer prices rose 11.2%. Both of those numbers were much higher than expected. They also set all-time records for this data set. Now, stripping out the volatile food and energy prices, the core PPI was up 0.9% from February. That was nearly double the 0.5% projection. It was the biggest monthly gain since January 2021. Now, what was happening in January 2021? That was the very beginning of the inflation coming out of the pandemic. Looking at year-over-year core PPI, that was up 7%. Now, you'll notice something about all of these numbers. They are all bigger 
than their CPI brethren. So what does that tell us? It tells us producers are still eating some of their price increases. Now, it's likely they will pass at least some of these increased costs onto their customers in the future. So when that happens, CPI will continue to go up. And that's why I say these producer prices undermine the notion that we've hit peak inflation because they're telling us that there are more price increases bubbling in the system itself. So, you know, all of this is uh, less than ideal. So looking at gold, it was generally up after the CPI data came out. Now, it's hard to know exactly what to make out of this. Uh, It could be that people are starting to wake up to the fact that inflation isn't going away and they're putting some money into an inflation hedge. Uh, It could also be that people are buying into the peak inflation narrative so they don't think the Fed will have to tighten as much as previously thought. And uh, so maybe interest rates won't get as high as people were expecting. Remember, the markets have been anticipating rising interest rates, and uh, they think that's bad for gold. That's why every time we've seen hot CPI numbers in the past, we've seen this sell-off in gold. Everybody thinks, oh, the Fed's going to fight inflation, they're going to tighten. So, so maybe they're starting to get it, and, and, or, or maybe they just think that the Fed uh, isn't going to have to tighten because inflation is going away on its own. Um, also remember that when we had this a level of inflation in 1981, this is important to keep this in your head, Real uh, interest rates were 12% and real rates were positive. Uh, the Fed would hi- have to hike to over 8% in order to get real rates positive, and that ain't happening. It's also interesting that gold has been slowly inching up over the last couple of weeks, despite the bloodbath in the bond market. You would think that rising bond yields would be bearish for gold, but it really hasn't been. Um, so, you know, again, maybe people are starting to figure out actually how big the mess we're in, and they're looking to gold as that inflation hedge and and as a way to protect their wealth. I want to touch on something really quickly before I wrap up the show, and I I mentioned this uh, last week. Russia has made the case for owning gold. The head of the Russian parliament, Pavel Zavalny, made comments recently addressing the subject of economic and financial sanction, and it's clear that gold is playing a large role in protecting Russian wealth. That role may actually get bigger, and it could create a paradigm shift in the way the world does business. Now, as you know, Russia has a lot of natural gas and a lot of oil, and it sells a lot of natural gas and a lot of oil to the world. So, uh, Zavalny made it clear that Russia is happy to sell in hard currency. And what is hard currency? Well, it ain't dollars. If they want to pay, let them pay in hard currency, and this is gold for us, he said. He also said that Russia has no interest in dollars, saying, this currency turns into candy wrappers for us. I think that's funny. And, you know, where's the lie? Other moves made by Russia in recent weeks could represent a huge paradigm shift in global finance. Many countries have been building toward this for years as the U.S. has weaponized the dollar. In effect, Russia put the ruble on a gold standard that is now linked to natural gas. In late March, the Central Bank of Russia started buying gold from local banks at a fixed price of 5,000 rubles per gram. Since Russia is insisting on payment uh, of, for natural gas in rubles, and they've linked the ruble to gold, natural gas is now indirectly linked to gold. 
Now, it's really interesting because, you know, uh, when the sanctions really hit, the ruble tanked, uh, lost a lot of value. Since they've reinstituted, or not reinstituted, but instituted this kind of pseudo gold standard, the uh, ruble has stabilized and is actually close to the level that it was before the invasion. So I'll link to an article in the show notes page that goes uh, a little a little bit deeper into all of this. The bottom line is gold is playing a huge role in global finance right now, particularly in Russia. So, you know, it might not be a bad idea to have some gold. And if you want to get some gold, or if you just want to learn how gold and silver can fit into your portfolio, into your investment strategy, I highly recommend calling a Shift Gold Precious Metals Specialist today. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160, or if you don't feel like making a phone call, shoot them an email, info at shiftgold.com. Or if you go to the uh, Shift Gold website, shiftgold.com, uh, if you go to any of the news articles over at shiftgold.com slash news, uh, there'll be a pop-up where you can actually chat with one of our brokers right there on the website. So do it today. These guys are great. I've, I say it every week. They will help you see how uh, gold and silver can fit into your personal investment strategy. So for now, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stuff that I've talked about today and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, and I can't imagine why you haven't, but you can subscribe to the Shift Gold uh, podcast over at Apple Podcasts on uh, Stitcher. You can go to the Shift Gold YouTube channel. So we're out there. Check it out. Subscribe. If you want to contact me, I welcome emails. mmahari at shiftgold.com. M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. We'd love to hear from you. Really do appreciate everybody who listens to the show. Appreciate all of the feedback. And um, so with that, we're going to wrap it up. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend.